0: Can we give a warm welcome to a very appreciated guest speaker, Andrew? Uh, who I'm going to come up. I'm going to pray for you, and then um, you can. Can you introduce yourself? Is that all right? And uh, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Andrew and Nicola would get extra early out of bed and come and bless us with their presence and with what you're going to uh, say to us through, uh, through Andrew. God, I pray that you bless him. God, uh, I pray uh, that you'd bless us. And uh, Lord God, that this would be a great time of growing in you. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
1: Amen. 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 Good morning. So, my name is Andrew, as you already know, and um, I am based in Worthing, Um, and yes, it was very, very early this morning. Uh, to, to travel down here. We we normally start our service at 10 o'clock, um, but it was, um, it was good to be out of the house. The road was very, very quiet traveling um, down here. So I'm married to Nicola, and we've got two boys, Daniel and Jonathan. Daniel is 25, and Jonathan is 21. Um, I love football, so I'm looking forward to the um, World Cup starting today. Um, I support Manchester United. <laughs> I I was expecting rotten tomatoes coming towards me, you know. um, But it's really, really good to be here today um, and just to kind of share um, God's word um, with you. I always like when I go somewhere to ask um, the minister, you know, what have you been doing? Um, So I can actually fit into that rather than just coming to bring something completely um, um, different. You know, um, and Kevin did say that um, you've been... um, You've been looking at questions that God asks. You've been exploring some of that. So I did the same thing and just said, so God, you know, what question, you know, um, would you want us to explore, you know, um, as we spend um, this time um, together? And when you look at our world today, there is a big issue going on. And one of those big issues that is going on is the whole issue of identity, You know, who are you? You know, um, how do you see yourself? Or actually, how do other people um, see you? And interestingly enough, in the gospel over 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ asked this question. You know, um, he said to his disciples who he had been joining with and who he had been engaging with, and he said to them, Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Um, Now, If you're like me, you all know that when people ask questions, they ask questions for different reasons. And understanding why somebody is asking a question is actually very, very important. So some people ask questions because they want to sell you something. That is why they are asking. So sometimes I get a phone call, and the phone call goes something like this. Oh, can I just check Um, are you the owner of the phone I'm calling you on and I'm like "Uh, yes and they go "Um, so can I just ask when does your contract run out and I'm like why do you want to know you know and I know that actually the only reason why I am getting that phone call is because the person at the other end wants to sell me something and sometimes they say things like this oh I don't want to sell you anything and I'm like, so why are you calling me then? And they go, oh, well, we just want to offer you a better contract. And I'm like, oh, so you're trying to actually sell me something. Most of the time, I end up putting the phone down on them because I'm trying to be nice, but they're becoming very, very pushy. And sometimes people just ask questions simply because they want to sell you something. But sometimes people also ask questions simply because they are trying to rate, you know, um, the value they want to place on you. So if you go to a party somewhere, sometimes people ask you questions like, oh, what do you do for a living? Now, if you want to really, really tease people, You know, and you say, and somebody asks you, um, what do you do um, for a living? And you go, well, I'm a neurophysicist and I'm working on like the um, the components of the DNA and how DNA. And you say something like that. You could see this glazed look coming over people's faces thinking, oh my goodness, I am talking to somebody really, really intelligent here. Or people say things like, so where do you live or what car do you drive? drive or where did you go to uni all they are trying to do when they ask that question is they are trying to place a value upon you you know where do you sit you know and in the in in the value that they have so we know that sometimes people have questions of value or sometimes people are simply asking a question because they are interested in you Um, When I first met Nicola, who is my wife, I just bombarded her with questions and I was trying to find out one question in particular, is she going out with somebody? (laughs) Yeah, that, was, that was the whole aim. So you ask questions like, so what did you do this weekend? Did you do that with somebody special? You know, and when they go, no, I, was, I did it on my own. You're thinking, oh, so there's nobody special. You know, and all you're trying to do is because you're interested in somebody. And every single time somebody is asking a question, we know that there is a reason behind it. So Jesus asked this question. Who do you say that I am? And within Christendom, we always say this, that it is important when you read a text in the Bible to always put that text in its context. Actually, somebody says, if you take a text out of context, it becomes a con. And it is true that you can make the Bible say something it never intended to say simply because you're taking it out of context. So whenever we hear something, we need to place it in context. So I want to read the context in which Jesus was asking this question. And we find that in Matthew 16 and from verse 13 to 20. And it says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do you say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, "'You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God,' Jesus replied. "'You are blessed, Simon, son of John, "'because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. "'You did not learn this from any human being. "'Now I say that you are Peter, which means rock, "'and upon this rock I will build my church, "'and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. "'And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven.'" Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So, having read the context in which Jesus asked that question, let me ask you this question. Why do you think Jesus Christ was asking that question? Um, i don't know if you're if you're used to this, but I like doing this where I ask a question, and I step back and I look for people to respond to me so why do you think Jesus was asking this question? Who do you say I am He's trying to make their he was He was trying to increase the understanding, thank you very much yeah he was trying to increase the understanding, yeah. because there were lots of options okay yeah there were lots of options yeah you know they were already jesus had said you know um you know the disciples have said some people say you're the prophet or you're like this or that so there were different options yeah okay don't worry it will come back (laughs) He wanted to know what they were thinking of him. Yes, okay, yeah? He wanted to know what he wanted to say he was a Christian and Okay, he wanted to find out who was the follower or not. Okay? Yeah. Okay? Any other reason why you think Jesus was asking that question? Affirmation. Affirmation. Okay, you mean you mean affirmation for himself or They will okay, okay, okay. So the people will ask the question and they will know, okay, yeah. Let's just have maybe one more. You know, why was Jesus asking that question? He knew, he was doubting, doubting who he was. He knew it would help him. No, they, were doubting who he was. they were doubting who he was. Okay, so they were, and he wanted them to be sure exactly um, of who he was. Okay, now. For so many of us, we might not know this, but the issue of identity really, really matters. If you don't know who you are, you can get yourself into all sorts of trouble. And actually, one of the problems we face on earth is simply the fact that a lot of the time we don't actually know who we are. And this dates back to actually the very, very first sin that human beings faced was actually an issue of identity. Now, most of us know the story very, very well in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, we are told this, you know, and we live at a time where science will tell you something completely different and God tells us something completely different. Now, some people think science 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 and faith are fighting each other, but actually it is not true. Lots of people who have got faith in God also believe in science, but they believe that God is the author of science rather than science just being something that just happens, you know, by chance. So when you go to the story in Genesis, we are told this. In Genesis 1 and verse 27 and 28 says this. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, govern it, and reign over. And then he tells them what they should reign over. The reason why human beings are like the top, of the food chain in our world today is because God created us that way. It's got nothing to do with evolution and we've kind of evolved bigger brains. It is simply because that is where God placed us. God called us to reign over absolutely everything. Now, it is interesting that when we read the story about Satan, or the enemy coming into the Garden of Eden to speak to Adam and Eve, the very thing that he challenges is the whole issue of identity. So, in Genesis chapter three um, and from verse four to five, it says this, "'You won't die,' the serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Satan comes to Adam and Eve and says, come and eat of this fruit, and you are going to be like God. Now, interestingly enough, what did God create human beings to be like? Himself, He created human beings in his image. They were already like God's. God had already created them in his image. And somewhere along the line, they missed that information. We don't know what happened, but somewhere along the line, they doubted that information. And what happened when Satan came and he said, you are going to be like God if you eat this. They should have said, we are already like God's. We were made in God's image. We don't need to eat this to become like God. That is who we already are. But because they doubted their identity, the first Adam, as we know in Scripture, we are told, actually went into sin. But interestingly enough, when Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament, exactly the same thing happens again. We are told in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16 to 17, it says this After his baptism, as Jesus came out of the water, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said this This is my beloved Son who brings me great joy. This is my beloved Son who brings me great joy. Soon afterwards, we are told that Jesus is taken into the wilderness. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he was fasting, waiting on God. And after 40 days, we are told that Satan comes to him. And the very first question he asked Jesus is this. If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Again, questioning Jesus' identity. Before Jesus goes into the wilderness, heavens open and God says to him, you are my beloved son in whom I am well placed. Now, I said earlier on, I have got, I have got two boys. They have never doubted that I am their father. They have at no point come to me and said, dad, are you really my dad? Dad. Because they've always known that I am their dad. They've always known that that is their mom. And actually, we have like f- I'm, I'm, I'm we have brought them up to know that actually their identity is rooted in the family that they are born into. My youngest son in particular, I say to him, remember, you are a father Jew. You know, it's not a very, very popular name, it's not a very, very common name. Wherever you go. People will associate you with your mom, with me, your brother, or your uncles. So protect that name. Don't mess that name up. You know, because he likes going out with his friends and having a good time. And I'm like, look after the name. Protect the name. But he knows that he's a father Jew. And here, Satan Satan comes to Jesus and he says to him, if you are the son of God, and twice he says that to him, And Jesus Christ doesn't bow to that pressure. You see, Jesus is the second Adam, and unlike the first Adam who fell over the whole issue of identity, Jesus knew who he was. So the question is, if Jesus walks into this room now and he asks us the same question, who do you say I am? how would you answer that question? You see, how you answer that question is going to affect everything you do. It's going to affect what you think about yourself, what you think about others, how you relate to God. It's going to affect absolutely everything you do because your identity matters so much consciously Subconsciously, you do everything out of your identity, whether you are aware of it or not. So on a Sunday morning, when I rock up at church and I stand up, you know, um, I, I actually in my car out there, I have got a lanyard that I wear. It's got my name and it says Andrew, and it says Minister. I didn't wear that this morning because it would be weird coming in here and wearing a lanyard that says, Andrew, minister. You'll be thinking, oh, when did you become the minister here? Actually, Kevin is our minister. And Kevin should be able to say, oh, Andrew, I think you're in the wrong place. Can you take that off? Because it doesn't actually, but he needs to know that. But actually knowing who you are is going to affect absolutely everything that you do. Knowing that Nicola over there is my wife means I can walk up to her, give her a kiss on the cheek. I will not walk up to somebody who I don't know. I will get a slap thinking, what the heck are you doing? So knowing who you are affects absolutely everything that you do. But knowing who Jesus is has an impact upon our well-being. You see, Jesus, his very, very existence, is to give us hope and a life so actually knowing who he is makes a huge difference to our lives now in John's gospel of all of the four gospels John is the one who really wanted us to know who Jesus Christ was and it was so vital that in John's gospel you find about nine different statements where Jesus used the term I am And all of those times was trying to show us exactly who he was. And I want to just run through seven of those this morning. Because Jesus revealed that because he says, If you know who I am, it's going to affect everything that you do and also how you relate to him and also to others around you. So Jesus said this, I am the bread of life. You know, have you noticed that sometimes all of the things that we are told will satisfy us after a while doesn't really satisfy you know you can you can buy the best car in the world but i can tell you after six months it just becomes a car you can buy the nicest watch you know like i some people have got watches that cost like 50 grand and somebody has got a watch that costs 10 pounds guess what they tell exactly the same time. Even though one costs like 50 times more than the other, it still tells exactly the same time. And after a while, it just becomes a watch. All of the things that says will satisfy after a while doesn't really satisfy. But Jesus Christ said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never thirst." He says, I am the light of the world. You see, the reason why our world is in such a mess with all of the science and technology we have got and yet thing is still a mess is because actually we are not seeing what God sees. Can you imagine in our world today that there are people going to sleep in our country or in some parts of the world with no food to eat? The truth is, if you were an alien and you came to our planet, you will be aghast that anybody on our planet goes to sleep without having food because this is a very, very rich, resourceful planet where everything we need has been provided for us. But we can't see because sometimes we are consumed with darkness. Jesus Christ said, I am the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the gate of the sheepfold." He is the door that actually leads us to that place where we are able to know what God is like and be able to encounter God. Jesus said, I am the gate, whoever comes in through me will be saved They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. So many people, so many religions, so many faiths are offering people. This is the way out. But Jesus Christ says, no, actually the way out is by having a relationship with God. It's about coming through him. Not trying to do good works, but actually just coming through him. Jesus Christ said, I am the good shepherd. You know, sometimes when the cares of lives weigh you down, you need somebody who is a good shepherd, who cares about you, who loves you, who wants the best for you, who actually, when you're messing up, doesn't condemn you, but actually talks you to a place where you're able to see the things that God wants you to do, and he helps you through that. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. Just as my father knows me, and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. And then he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Sometimes, you know, um, I can be morbid. You know, um, I um, I see a hearse going past because there's about two funeral directors who live very, very close. And when I see the hearse going past, I think to myself, one day the sun will rise and I will not rise with the sun because my life will have come to an end. A day will come when I will be dead and life will carry on. But if this was just what life was about, then I better go out and start partying and enjoy myself. You know, um, as the writer of Ecclesiastes said, everything is meaningless and meaningless, but at the end he says, actually, no, the purpose of man is to honor God while he's alive. And Jesus Christ said, I am the resurrection and the life. I know there is more to life than just this, but it is through Jesus Christ I am going to experience that resurrection. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. You see, when people say all religion leads to God, we can go to people, that is a nice concept and it sounds good, it sounds great, but actually it is not true. There is only one way that leads to God, and that way is through Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one can come to God except through me. If that wasn't true, then Jesus Christ was telling lies. And actually, we can tell when we look at the life of Jesus Christ, the last thing he did was told lies. And then he said, I am the true vine. You know, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, Jesus wanted us to know who he was because the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ is meant to be like a life-giving relationship to us and then to anyone who we come into contact with—that is how relationships are meant to work, and that is how um, you know—and um, and, and that is how human relationship work. You know, people say it is all about people who you know. A couple of years ago, I was um, I was flying to Nigeria, where I come from. Um, and um, and to get through customs in Nigeria can be very, very tricky. Um, sometimes, sadly, you have to, like, um, bribe people to be able to get yourself through customs. So I arrived in Nigeria, and I could, uh, um, I can have a Nigerian passport, you know, and also a British passport. But I just used a British passport. So um, I was on this queue, and I'm one of the foreigners who, they would have to ask you questions like, where are you from, you know, What are you doing here? And sometimes those questions can simply be asked because they think, you know, you might have money on you and they want to take some money off you. So I'm standing in the queue, you know, I'm waiting for my bag to come and for to clear, and I hear my name being called on the tannoy. Will Andrew Fadoju please report to customs? And I'm thinking, oh, what is going on? And I realize what has happened, my auntie, her friend, is the senior custom officer in the airport, you know, um, and, and soon I see these guys going around almost like thinking, where is Andrew, you know, and, and ultimately they see me and they're like, oh, we've been looking for you, you know, and they grab hold of me, you know, and simply they, they find my bag, they pick up my bag, and they just walk me through customs, no check whatsoever who you know makes a difference huge difference who you know will get you into places and who you know will actually get you things our relationship with jesus takes us to god's throne room and that is why jesus wants us to know and he asked that question who do you say I am because when you know who Jesus Christ is and you know his position in heaven, like the Bible says, Jesus sits at the right hand of God in heaven. Now, please, if Jesus knows you and you are in relationship with him and he sits at the right hand of God in heaven, please, if you are going through a tough time, where do you go to for help? Do you, go and, do you go and speak to your pastor? Do you go and speak to your friends? Do you go and speak to your family? Or do you go to Jesus, who is the source of life and go, Jesus, what can you do for me in this situation? Some people go, well, that is so simple. Yeah, it is meant to be that simple. And that is why Jesus Christ said, you know, um, who do you say I am? You see, the Bible tells us this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because there is a direct correlation between knowledge and trust. The more you know people, the better you know them, the more likely you are going to trust them. Now, if you um, if you've got a friend, you know, and the friend is a builder. You know, um, and he's a great builder. But over the last two or three weeks, maybe you've been having pain in your side, you've been coughing, and your builder friend says, well, come and see me. You know, and he sits you down and he thinks, hmm, you know, fills your sides, you know, fills your chest, and he goes, well, I think you've got this, this, and that. You'll be looking at him thinking, ah, uh, I'm not a property. You know, I'm not brick and mortar. I don't think this is your area of expertise, you know, and most likely you will take his advice with a pinch of salt. But if there is something wrong with your house, the person you look for is not your doctor friend. You look for your builder friends for them to be able to help you. So actually there is a correlation between what you know and also who you trust. So I want to finish by asking this question. How do you see Jesus? How do you see Jesus? How do you see Jesus in your own life? Because how you see Jesus will determine how you face the giants in your life. Do you remember the story in the Bible, David and Goliath? For 40 days, Goliath had made fun of the people of Israel, had said to them, look, all I'm asking for is one of you to come and fight me, and if you can beat me, we become your slave, but if I beat you, you become our slaves. The army of Israel, the commanders, the commandos, all of them were there, and nobody was willing to go and fight the giants. Goliath said this to them, He says, come and fight, you know, armies of Saul. Come and fight me, any one of you who can do that. Now, David rocks upon the scene, and David listens to what Goliath says. If you go and read the text in 1 Samuel 17, the first thing David says is this. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the army of the living God? He doesn't say the army of Saul. He says, "Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the army of the living God?" David comes on the scene, and he is thinking about the living God. He's thinking about God. God is bigger than this thing." So David goes, "I'll go and fight him. I can take him on." Why did David do that? David knew who his God was, and he knew he was in a relationship with that God. He also knew the things that God had done through him. He said, well, a bear came and took one of my lambs. I went after it, and I got the lamb back. A lion came and did the same thing, and I did the same thing. These giants will face the same faith. His confidence was in who he was in God and also what he knew about God." How you see Jesus will determine how you face giants in your life. How you see Jesus will also determine how you deal with storms. We can laugh about Peter, but Peter can actually say, I walked on water for just two seconds or for for 20 seconds until he took his eyes off Jesus. We are told that he saw Jesus walking on water and Jesus says to him, come out of the boat and come and join me. He gets out of the boat and is walking towards Jesus, takes his eyes off Jesus, sees the storm and then he begins to sink and Jesus saves him. You see, when we are facing the storms in our life, if we are willing to set our eyes on Jesus, it completely transforms how we see that storm. Actually, in the middle of a storm, the, the Bible tells us that Jesus was sleeping. While everybody was in panic, Jesus was sleeping. You know, the best place to be in the middle of the storm is to go and lie down where Jesus is sleeping. If Jesus thinks it's okay to sleep in the storm, then just pull your blanket and lie down next to him and go, Jesus, we are in this together. What you see makes such a big difference. How you see Jesus will also affect how you meet the needs you encounter. You know, great stuff that you're going to be doing um, in the Crowley area, feeding people, you know, and giving to the needs of other people, But we are told that, you know, there was a young boy who had just, you know, five loaves of bread and two fishes. There was a great need. And where Jesus was asking, well, how are we going to feed all of these people? He said, well, Jesus, I have have got some sandwich I want to give to you. He gives it to Jesus, and Jesus uses that to feed 5,000 people. You see, knowing that Jesus is on our side also affects our ability to meet the overwhelming needs that we see around us. So the question is this, what do you see? How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as someone who is in relationship with Jesus? You see, when I became a Christian in 1986... The last thing in the world I thought I would be doing would be a minister. Actually, it's the very it was the, it was the most furthest thing away from my mind. Number one, I didn't be, I didn't do public speaking. Number two, I used to have a really really bad stutter, um, and number three, I was I was I was very very shy. And actually, it was like uh, there is no way I will actually stand up in front of people. speak to people i can remember being in my classroom when i was in high school and the teacher going if nobody answers this question the whole class gets the cane and knowing the answer to the question and thinking do you know what i'd rather take the cane than actually speak up that was how shy i was now most of my friends go we can't believe you ever been shy well actually My confidence comes from knowing now who I am in Christ and how Jesus sees me. That is what transforms us. When we see ourselves from Jesus' perspective, we don't allow the world to put, say, well, you were this or you were that. I don't even allow my family to put that on me. I try and see myself simply from the way that God sees me. The um, 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 theologian um, Henry Muon, and I want to finish with this, said, I uh, made this statement, um, and I will try and, um, uh, I think this statement is going to come um, on the screen, and I'll try and explain it. He says, over the years, I have come to realize that the greatest trap in our life is not success, popularity, or power, but self-rejection. Success, popularity, and power can indeed present a great temptation, but their seductive quality often comes from the way they are part of the much larger temptation to self-rejection. When we have come to believe in the voice that calls us worthless, unlovable, then success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solution. The real trap, however, is self-rejection. As soon as someone accuses me or criticizes me, as soon as I am rejected, left alone, or abandoned, I find myself thinking, well, that proves once again I am a nobody. My dark side says I am no good. I deserve to be pushed aside, forgotten, rejected, and abandoned. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us beloved. Being the beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence. Friends, let me finish um, with this this morning. You are an absolutely unique person. There is absolutely nobody like you. I say this to my church back in warding and they go, "We thank God." that there is only one of you. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You know, uh, you are so unique and so amazing that God wants to have a unique relationship with you. Because why? God has only got one of you. That is why you have got a unique DNA, a unique fingerprint, because God is into creating someone who is so unique. And this great mosaic that God is painting, the work that God is doing, God is going, there is something that I want you to do. There is an important role I have got for you to play. There is an important part that you have to play, but you need to believe that I call you the beloved. You are part of my family. I place great value on you. And that value comes as we find ourselves in that amazing relationship with Jesus Christ. We sing about Jesus being the king of kings. We sing about him being the Lord of lords. We sing about him going into the heavenly places. You know, um, when the queen died, you know, and it was the queen's funeral, I loved all of the pomp and ceremony. No nation in the world does pomp and ceremony like we do. It, is, it was amazing. People from around the, around the world were thinking, Oh, I wish I was there. I wish I could just get a feel of it. But that was just to our queen. The king of the universe. You know, Jesus, Lord of all, knows you by name and he calls you his own. He calls you into a relationship with himself. You see, if our security as human beings do not come from that, then we have missed something completely. You know, there was a time in my life that I was, you know, I was thinking, oh, I'm just a minister. You know, and, I, and I was going through a season where I was looking down on myself. And I felt that God put me in a corner and said, Andrew, I have called you to speak on my behalf. You are an ambassador of heaven here on earth. Can, do you not feel the importance of that? That actually God calls you my representative. So wherever I go, I'm an ambassador of Christ. Friends, if that doesn't, you know, like, ennoble you or strengthen you, then we are missing something so fundamental within our faith. Jesus said, who do you say I am? You see, knowing who Jesus Christ is, truly knowing who he is, will transform you. And then will help you transform those who you come into contact with. If we don't know who Jesus Christ is, we will actually sell people a gospel that does them no good. And sometimes our danger is we sell people a gospel that is actually about us rather than about Jesus. And actually what we are meant to do is to point people towards Jesus so that he can transform their lives. But we need to allow him to transform our lives also. I want to pray for us um, this morning, just to pray, pray over us, because I really sense this morning, God wants you to know afresh that you are the beloved. When you look at yourself in the mirror, what do you see? Do you just see a man or a woman? Do you just see somebody who you think, and um, um, who you talk down on? Or do you see a representative of heaven You know, co-heirs with Christ, joint-heirs with Christ, seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. We need to see who God calls us, who God says we are, so we can go and make a difference in our world. Father, we thank you for your amazing love for us. Thank you for your heart towards us. Thank you that you call us your children. Thank you that you know us by name. Thank you that you call us not to be slaves or servants in your kingdom, but you call us to be children in your households. Father, you call us to be engaged in a family business with you, a business of reconciliation, restoration. As our lives are restored, as we are reconciled back to you, you tell us to take that message to our friends, to our families, to our next-door neighbors, to carry the fragrance of Christ in everything that we do. Father, I pray for those this morning who sit down here and they are struggling with the essence of worth. I don't know what, what has been said to people's lives I don't know the voices that are spoken into people's life that have said, you're no good, you're rubbish, you're useless. Lord, I just come against those voices in the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray that in Jesus' name that people will hear the voice of heaven. They will hear, Lord, your accolade over their lives. They will hear your singing over their life they will hear, Lord God, your words, your grace, your love, Lord God, for them. And I pray that at that deep part of, of us where we truly know who we are i pray you will speak to people in such a way that they will know that you are for them and you are not against them and more than any other thing i pray you will open the eyes of our heart so we can know the depth and the breadth and the weight of your love lord god for us may your love consume us overwhelm us empower us, ennoble us, engage us in such a way, Lord God, that your love spills out of our lives to those around us and to those who we come into contact with. Open our eyes, we pray, Father. Help us see you afresh so that we can see ourselves afresh, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.
0: Oh, that was really good. It's good to hear that affirmation and, and challenge and stuff. And I uh, um, hope you found it helpful. Um, we're at a close. And normally we invite you to relax, have some tea and coffee, hot chocolate, you know, take your time. But we are dismantling the meeting so that we can have a world record in here for the uh, dance class. Um, so uh, we're going to sort of take things apart, and uh, um, you're welcome to stay for a chat. You might be able to squeeze out a cup of tea from the back if they haven't put it all away, Uh, but essentially we're kind of at an end. Uh, um, We started early to accommodate them, and uh, God bless you, and uh, you're welcome. If Andrew and Nicola aren't racing off to have a word with them uh, and perhaps ask for some prayer and um, if not, bless you and perhaps see you during the week or here next Sunday at the more normal time of 10.30 where there may be no more bacon baps but you will have had a lay-in. So uh, uh, bless you.